All of us are on a complicated journey of faith, pursuing truth and deeper knowledge of God. But how do we know we're doing it right? Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing, and it can be a painful and difficult journey, and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and one of my best friends, Marty Frederick, and I have agreed to join each other in creating exactly that kind of space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to look honestly at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today and to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We believe that doubt is not the enemy of faith, but perhaps one of its greatest allies. We think that the Christian life is more about asking the right questions than it is about finding the answers. And we believe we are being called to continually ask those questions, renewing our minds and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. Again, for those of you who are looking for Theology Doesn't Suck, uh, we were formerly Theology Doesn't Suck. If you're wondering why the name changed, if you go back a few episodes, we released an entire conversation about why we decided uh, to change our name. So if you're looking for Theology Doesn't Suck, you're in the right place. We're now Rethinking Faith, and we are excited that you are here with us this morning or whenever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, as always, I'm Josh. I'm one of your co-hosts. And unfortunately, this morning, uh, the other host, Marty, is not with us because we believe he has caught the flu. And so he is sick in bed. So prayers for Marty uh, so that he can return and grace us with his presence once again. But uh, the good news is we do have a really cool guest with us the, uh, today. I keep wanting to say this morning, <laughs> today. Uh, and it is author, speaker, blogger, podcaster, and former coffee shop owner, Amy Bird. Amy, how's it going? Doing good. I'm glad to be here. Good. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to uh, talk with us today, or myself today. I'm excited. Um, but real quick, before we jump in, can you tell me a little bit about this this coffee shop thing? So are you, are you a big yeah. coffee lover, I assume? Yes. Love coffee. Um... And like right out of college, I opened up with my mom. We kind of went in half has these on a coffee shop in downtown Frederick, Maryland. And it was called the Mud Puddle. And it was awesome. Had so much fun. Uh, met so many people. Um, it wasn't a quote unquote Christian coffee shop. Sure. However, um, since we did like sell some Christian books there and we would have entertainment on the weekends and, you know, we do classic rock and all that stuff, but then we'd also sometimes have Christian bands come in. And so I think that kind of picked up around the community. So people from all different churches, like just became regulars. Nice. And you know, I was like 21, 22 years old. It was so cool because all my stereotypes were smashed. You know, I, I just <laughs> got to know people from all different denominations and, uh, a lot of Roman Catholics came regularly, and um, what a cool mix of people. It was, you're kind of like a bartender when you're a barista. <laughs> tell you their life stories. Yeah. You know what their drink is when they're walking through the door, you know, like that kind of thing. So it was just a super fun, cool time So in my life. Yeah, that's really cool. And I actually, so I know downtown Frederick. Um, mm -hmm. That's not too far from us. My wife and I are, uh, live here in Maryland. As well, for listeners you don't know, Frederick is in Maryland, which is, I think, probably the best state. Um, so that's a cool thing. <laughs> but I know uh, Marty would be would be super excited to know about the coffee shop. He is a self-proclaimed coffee snob. Um, <laughs> and so he loves coffee. He always is, you know, doing different subscriptions to, you know, coffee makers all over the country. And they send him small batch roasts and uh, the only way for him to drink coffee is pour over using his Chemex. And so uh, that's his thing. <laughs> Anything outside of that is not real coffee for Marty. So mm -hmm. that's that's the little piece of Marty we can have uh, for today. Awesome. Um, yeah, and so uh, you recently, uh, well, actually, it hasn't come out yet, but you have recently uh, wrote a book, and I want to talk to you about that. But before we jump in, we do have a question that we ask all of our guests that come on the show. Um mm -hmm. And it's super important, really near and dear. Um, 
<laughs> you'll probably be disappointed in the question maybe uh but our question that we ask everybody is is what is your favorite hockey team oh my gosh i don't watch hockey sorry <laughs> to disappoint you <laughs> yeah no worries no worries so that you're not the first or the last person uh who will will be not a, a hockey fan but i'm a huge <laughs> washington capitals fan um, yeah. marty loves the chicago blackhawks and so just to right. get to know people, we always try to ask uh-huh. them uh, what they think. I'm more of a – I grew up in the mixed martial arts environment. Oh, very yeah. cool. Okay. Sweet. So, so yeah. you, like UFC and stuff, do you uh, – like that well, kind of stuff or not my so brother much? owns a um, – he owns a mixed martial arts academy here in Frederick called oh. the Clinch Academy. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah. And so, yeah, they do. He has some professional fighters and stuff like that. But I really like it for the um, self-defense aspect. Sure. and. Um, fitness aspect really yeah, sure. that's awesome. stress relief yeah. <laughs> but my I'm son sure. trains so they have like a class for like kind of a clinch fit kickboxing slash fitness class um offered at the same time you know for all the old parents there <laughs> yeah that's awesome so it's a lot of fun sweet that's really cool <laughs> great well um yeah cool so uh also real quick just so for people who don't know you or haven't come across your work or your blog or anything like that, can you just give us a little bit of background information about yourself, like who you are, uh, what you do, maybe like a little bit about your um, your like faith upbringing, those kind of things? Sure. I um, So I'm 44. I, yeah, 44. And I had to sit there and remember how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> I've been married for 22 years. I have a daughter who is a junior at James Madison University. I have a daughter who's a senior in high school, and I have a son who's a freshman in high school. So I'm at that stage of life with the kids getting older, much harder to parent um, than <laughs> when they were young. Yeah. And yeah. So I am, you know, basically now what I'm doing is my writing and my speaking. And, um, I'm really enjoying that. I'm an avid reader. Um, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, um, and now I'm in a Presbyterian church. And so we've been back to this area for about five years now. And so we are going to New Hope OPC here in Jefferson, Maryland, and um, we're active members there. Awesome. And so o- OPC is Orthodox Presbyterian Church, right? Yes. Is that what it is? Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, I had to cheat and ask a, a good friend of mine, and actually our <laughs> listeners will know him, Andy. Andy is a former co-host of the show, uh, but he goes to, um, oh, goodness, I think PCA, is that right? Um, yeah, he yeah, goes yeah. to, yeah, PCA churches. So I was like, hey, Andy, you got to tell me, what is OPC? <laughs> so he, he filled <laughs> well, me there's in. There's some pretty crazy stereotypes of the OPC that I hope get busted as well. Okay, you know? sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Uh... That's yeah, our funny. church is pretty awesome. Sweet. Well, yeah. So, Andy, thank you for that uh, that uh, hookup with the, the OPC. <laughs> Make me look a little bit smarter than I am. Um, cool. Well, and also too, I think it's funny. I don't. I don't know if I told you this, but I'm a full time high school and young adult pastor, and so like okay. I work with students, uh, your kids' age, all the time. I look much younger <laughs> than I actually am. I'm 25. Um, I know you're probably guessing like 16 ish if you look on the screen, but yeah, so that's really cool. I know all about working with students that age. Um, it's a lot of fun, but it costs mm-hmm. to be pretty crazy. <laughs> yes, Sweet. Yes. Awesome. Well, so you have a book coming out on, if I'm correct, it says here on May 1st, uh, 2020, mm-hmm. and it's called recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood, how the church needs to rediscover her purpose. And so it's going to be published by Zondervan, uh, which is really cool. Um, they were gracious enough to send an advanced copy for me to read. I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I was telling you before we started um, that your book, I really enjoyed it because uh, it was challenging to me. And I kept going back and forth between like, oh, I love like everything you're saying. So great. So great. And then something would like, I'd be like, oh, man, like that frustrates <laughs> me. But I want to keep reading because there's like this back and forth. Right. So I think it's almost like uh, this idea if like for more conservative people, some of it might be too progressive for more progressive people. Some would be too conservative. It's just right. But it's really I think it's really great because it, it has this this awesome balance to it. And so I guess the first thing I want to ask in line with that is like, why did you write this book and who mm-hmm. like who exactly were you trying uh, to reach? Who are you trying yeah. to speak to? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, let me start with the second part of the question that that's exactly what I'm wanting <laughs> your reaction in some ways. And it takes some maturity to read like that. Right. Because, you know, we kind of get into these tribes and um, we get angry at what the other people are saying. And um, so I'm, I'm really hoping to equally frustrate and challenge <laughs> um, both sides of tribes, um, because I think that there's a lot of us that, that some are somewhere trying to look for a balance um, in within that. And um, so this is my fifth book. And each one is kind of built on, on the next. And I'm, I write as a lay person in the church. Um, I have had some unique opportunities through my writing to develop really great relationships with pastors and with um, academics and seminary. Um, so I, I have a, a unique role, I think, where I can go upstairs and have a conversation, you know, with the academics. Um, but also, like, really, I live downstairs mm. <laughs> with the non-academics and lay people. So, um, but the whole point is, isn't, the whole point in uh, seminary and pastors isn't for them to just be talking to each other, but for it to trickle down to us. So, mm. like, I really try to function as a, uh, a bridge of sorts. Um, to lay people like, oh, look at all this wonderful doctrine and information that, you know, about God that we should be learning. And, um, and to pastors and academics, like, um, there's a lot of blind spots over here that you're not seeing in ways that you could communicate better for, for us. And especially writing as a woman, I've um, really, and I, and I, the OPC, you know, the circles I'm in are kind of the reformed-ish areas, and um, they're very conservative. And I, I uphold a lot of those conservative um, doctrines but uh, and values, but I also have some pushback in, in, in some of those. So um, in trying to write critically in my own circles, I have been shocked at some of the, um, the reactions to that, <laughs> um, you know, where I've been blacklisted or I have been just completely ignored um, or vilified. And so to see the vilifying part is pr pretty crazy of think motives that have been assigned to me and uh, slander being spoken out against me. And um, so I, it's, it's hard where, where I'm writing, <laughs> which yeah, absolutely. is frustrating both. And, and so I'm not, I don't identify as a complementarian, um, mainly because that's a movement that has got a lot of bad doctrine has been attached to it sure. and a lot of bad teaching. And, um, and so I don't identify with it as a movement, but you know, you know, where I may be different from you guys, I do uphold, um, as my church does, um, ordination for qualified men. Mm -hmm. But, um, so where do I speak in, in that? I've made a lot of friends with egalitarians. Um, I've read and learned from so many egalitarians and I appreciate their work and their sharpening. And um, so I like, I like to converse both. And within the complementarian circles that I find myself in, I have a lot of challenges that I want to bring up sure. um, regarding what's being taught about biblical manhood and womanhood. And, um, and, and so that's where, with this book, what I'm trying to do is not talk about leadership so much as like ordination part. Those are important conversations. You know, I'm not trying to ignore them, but there's so many books out there about that already. What we're not focusing on is the rest of the 98% of us, discipleship and um, how that affects men and women and how we are investing differently in men and women. I mean, I've even had to, the book I wrote before this was Why Can't We Be Friends? Because <laughs> just being a woman disciple in the church so often it's, you know, especially living in this time of kind of the Mike Pence rule and the Billy Graham rule kind of stuff, um, we're we're not even conversationers, right? Uh, we can't be thought of as as sisters in Christ. So, um, you know, we have a long way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think um, everything that you just described, I think you did an awesome job doing exactly that in your book. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, thank it was. You. It was uh, super helpful because it, it did too. And um, please correct me if I get this wrong, but because you said, you know, don't identify as complementarian, but also um, you would point out issues that you see within the egalitarian uh, camp or movement to use your language as well. And maybe more so, would it be fair to say uh, that maybe you're more confessional? Like, uh, yeah, that's how, that, that's how I. 
that's how I answer that question. Right, right. So, yeah. and the cool thing about saying confessional, so I belong to a de- denomination that subscribes to certain confessions, um, the Westminster Confession um, of Faith, but then also more broadly speaking, um, you know, you and I both would subscribe to our ancient creeds, you know, the Apostles' mm-hmm. Creed, the Nicene Creed. These are first order doctrines right. um, that, that we know that you have to believe these things to even be called a Christian. Right. <laughs> and, and then, you know, even more narrowly, if I'm confessionally, you know, also speaking within the bounds of the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, there's freedom then within those confessions um, where we can discover, explore, have these discussions um, about these secondary issues. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so that is why I think confessional is a really good way of um, kind of camping out and and, and, Mm -hmm. and labeling. Yeah, yeah, I think... um... That is a really helpful distinction. And just uh, real quick too, um, like I, I liked your, uh, you kind of laid out like this, I think if I remember correctly, it was like these three tiers of yeah. like doctrine. Um, and like a way that I've, I found that super helpful. And another uh, thing that I found helpful is like this concentric circle model, um, mm. which is slightly different um, because it kind of goes, it's more of like a, um, centered set than a bound set but it starts with jesus at the center and then it moves out to dogma which is like you know your your creeds apostles creed nicene creed it's like okay you can't challenge jesus or these (laughs) things they're really important and then the next circle out would be doctrine um Mm -hmm. which that's like okay you know we have to be careful here we really have to think and pray but it's okay if we disagree and then outside of that is opinions like should we have chairs or pews which one (laughs) Um, (laughs) so that's kind of another model that i found helpful um but can you so we're you're using this language of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood can you just kind of like fill us in what what do you mean by that or maybe more importantly what have other people meant by that yeah so when I got married, I was 21 years old and, um, you know, very passionate about wanting to be in a good marriage. My parents were divorced and remarried. My husband's parents are divorced. We just, you know, didn't want to go through that. And we wanted a good, healthy marriage. And so there's all these resources that came out in like the 80s and 90s on, quote unquote, biblical manhood and womanhood. So I got married in 97 um, so I picked up kind of the big Mac daddy book, which is called <laughs> recovering biblical manhood and womanhood. And it was kind of, it was put out by the council for biblical manhood and womanhood. And, um, it's edited by Wayne Grudem and John Piper and, um, tons of articles in there by, uh, leaders that I've learned a lot from and, 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 uh, within the Christian parachurch movement. And, um, so there it is. There's the book on here's how to be a good Christian wife and b- biblical woman. Um, and, you know, there's there's some good stuff in there. But uh, there was some stuff I was really stumbling on. But, hey, I'm 21 years old. What do I know? These leaders, uh, you know, they know what they're talking about. And I gave them the benefit of the doubt. But um, as I got older, more uh, mature in my marriage, more experienced in studying scripture, um these questions became more pertinent to me. And also, I, you know, I, I entered that world myself in writing. I, um, so I'm kind of conversing with some of these people now. Uh, I get asked to write for, you know, for CBMW's website, uh, the women section. Um, <laughs> and, and so I'm kind of in that, more, in that world more. But as I asked some questions, uh, <laughs> Then I found, as I was kind of saying earlier, um, whoa, these aren't just areas where we can discuss and maybe have some nuances and some differences. Uh, there's some really weird teaching. And even, so I go back to the book and I read, and even their definitions of masculinity and femininity, like, let me read those for you. Sure. Um, At the heart of a, a mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead provide for and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. So, you know, what I'm reading here is 
women, mature femininity is parasitic. It's all about hmm. nurturing male leaders. Uh, there's nothing that we are contributing um, as women that has worth of value from women. It's looking for, to the man. Mm-hmm. And so as that plays out in that chapter, um, it gets really kind of 1950s <laughs> or, you know, Victorian age, you know, mature masculinity involves being the one who drives the car, orders in the restaurant, uh, mature femininity, uh, you know, better look out. You don't want to get too strong or right. <laughs> else you might not meet your needs. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, as I said, I've grown up in a family that teaches martial arts right. and uh, I like lift weights. So I don't understand, you know, those kind of things. I wasn't fitting into any of these boxes very well. Sure. Um, and yet very much feel like a woman. So, and a godly woman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even those things right there, I began to challenge, but then there were even more severe uh, issues with how they teach this leadership stuff. Um, they get right to our essence, our ontology, um, that men are eternally um, authoritarian and, mm-hmm. and women are uh, eternally and in our essence subordinate to men. And yeah, this is some unbiblical and dangerous teaching. Yeah. So, um, and, and not only that, like in the book, I don't, I don't want this book just to be a critique. Um, I felt sure. it was needed. Um, so I did it, but what I really want to do, and in each chapter I call it kind of appeal and reveal, like I'm mm-hmm. peeling away the bad, but what I really want to do is invite the readers to something, to see something much more beautiful in scripture. Mm-hmm. That's the exciting part. Yeah, you know, absolutely. What's meaningful and beautiful about God's design of man and woman. Yeah, the the appeal and reveal sections I really enjoyed. Uh, like you, so listeners, Amy does this really cool thing where she um, sets up with this. I don't want to give away too much, but sets up with this metaphor of of yellow wallpaper. And so mm-hmm. peel and reveal is is talking about peeling off that yellow wallpaper, and um, she you know layers that all throughout the book. It's really cool. Um, but like two things that that came to mind when you're talking about that. I remember when I was reading and, and you were mentioning about the, the bit about like, um, they're saying like, Oh, women, you know, don't get too strong. It would, you know, hurt somebody's ego, whatever. Uh, so I play ice hockey. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in an adult league and I'm in a co-ed league. And so both of my line mates, um, are females and mm-hmm. I'm the, uh, I'm a winger. And so the center, which is kind of like the person in charge of the line, like they kind of uh, conduct play. Um, she is, an extremely good hockey player, <laughs> way better than me. And so when I was thinking about it, I was like, man, like, so I guess, you know, under those constraints, I guess I can't play hockey with, you know what I mean? Like, because right. oh, now it's yeah. hurting my ego. And I was like, that's just ridiculous. Amanda's awesome. And she's a great hockey player. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, and it doesn't make you less of a man. No, absolutely. No, not at yeah. all. Yeah. And so um, that, that was just like an aside that stuck out to me. But um, one thing that I thought was really interesting, um, and I know, I guess, so I was talking to um, the executive pastor at my church, her name is Jeanette, um, and when I first um, found out about your book, I was like, hey, Jeanette, have you heard of Amy Bird? And she was like, oh, yeah, I know Amy Bird. Um, And she was mentioning, uh, like, a a blog or something like that that you did that came out about the Trinity, and how within this movement people were using um, like basically saying that there is uh, inherent authoritarian structure within the Trinity and then applying that to the biblical manhood and womanhood thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just not the case. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. So, um, and this is coming right out of the council from biblical manhood and womanhood. It's also taught in this book that I'm talking about, which is sold. I don't know how many copies it's a, it's a high, you know, high profile selling book. Yeah. Hugely popular. Yeah. Um, but so I started discovering along with some, some other people, this and egalitarian, there were egalitarians already speaking out against this. Mm-hmm. So props to egalitarians for that, that, but nobody's listening to them in the complementarian circle. They're sure. dismissed because they're egalitarians, which is very, very sad. But, um, so within the complementarian circles, um, you know, there's a little bit of talk about it. And um, I'm starting to find it all over the place. And this teaching is called Eternal Subordination of the Son. And it teaches that in God's essence, 
in the very ontology of God's being, the son is eternally subordinate to the father. Now, we were just talking about the importance of uh, upholding the Nicene right. <laughs> Creed, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> this is against the teaching in the Nicene Creed. Yeah, very so, much. Uh, this is adopt. Um, it's very serious error. And so that was being used to teach that, uh, and I don't, you know, there's another leap being made here, that women are eternally subordinate mm-hmm. to men in our ontology. So I'm finding it in the in the books. I'm finding it in a lot of women's books for women's ministries. You know, mm-hmm. it's all about mm-hmm. being submissive, and so they're teaching this um, doctrine um, in best-selling women's books for women's ministries. And then I'm finding it on CVMW's website like crazy. So um, I'm talking to I'm talking to some of my writing friends who are met, men about this and. And um, I know that if I write something about it, I will be dismissed because I'm a woman. Sure. So um, I was talking to pastor slash scholar Liam Gallagher, who is a pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church downtown Philadelphia. And um, I'm like, would you consider writing a series of articles on the Trinity for my blog? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And so we kind of talked about it, but uh, didn't really follow through. Then um, finally, I, I, I did correspond with the president of, of the time at CBMW about this teaching, uh, about a couple things that they were posting that were really concerning me um, because it really could, le- it could be used as fuel for abuse. Yeah, for And so sure. I brought that concern to him. You know, some strange articles that I brought up to him, Sanctified Testosterone was the name of one of the articles. <laughs> Interesting. I kind of against that on my blog. I'm like, what in the heck is that? And then there was another one called um, Soap Bubble Submission. It was very odd. Um, so um, he responded, kind of sharing his next book with me uh, on uh, God's design for man and woman. I can't remember what it's called now. But um, I start scrolling through the book, and I'm like, ESS is everywhere. Yeah. Eternal support from the sun. And so I start sending some lines to Liam. Gallagher and just say, look at what, you know, this is what the president of CBMW was teaching. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that fired him up because he's a pastor, you know, he doesn't, and uh, he, he has a, a, a pastoring heart. So he did, he wrote me, he wrote this long article on, on ESS and, and complementarianism. And um, kind of, we, I edited it into two because it was long and it was a little technical. So we were trying to, you know, make it blog presentable. And let me tell you, I asked a man to do it, a respectable <laughs> one, put it on my blog, and the next thing you know, I mean, it all broke loose. Uh, so major correspondence blew up on the internet. There's been conferences on it, books written about it, journal articles. I mean, if you Google the Trinity debate of 2016, it all Christianity Today did a thing on the women behind the Trinity debate. But um, none of those um, leaders corresponded with me. Interesting. And, you know, I wrote a couple articles after Liam. Um, they never corresponded with me. Hmm. So it's just pretty sad. Yeah, absolutely. And I, so I hadn't heard, um, like, heard about ESS form, like, in a formal setting. Um, but I was, when I was reading your book, I was like, you know what, I like I was definitely taught this growing up, um, which is, is strange. So I, I have a weird kind of upbringing. I started out in a Methodist church uh, with where the head pastor was female, and then my parents discovered down the street was ooh, there was a church that had contemporary Christian music, and it was <laughs> it just happened to be a Southern Baptist church, and okay. so when we went there, um, very much so you know, um, no women in leadership, a lot of the kind of biblical manhood stuff that you're talking about, that's, these are the kind of things that were taught from the pulpit, what I was taught growing up in that church. And the ESS stuff was definitely taught. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really interesting. So it kind of brought back those um, memories for me. But I think I'm, I mean, I'm thankful that, uh, you know, you spoke out um, against that. And I think that was a really helpful contribution. And uh, I enjoyed reading about that um, in your book. And so, 
uh, I guess another thing that comes out of uh, the idea of like biblical manhood and womanhood and a common critique that people uh, say about the Bible, whether they're uh, Christians or, or a lot of actually secular scholars or people outside of um, the realm of, of the Christian faith, would argue that the Bible is a patriarchal book by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in your book, you kind of talk about, well, there's maybe some, there's definitely like a, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I if I misunderstand you, there's definitely a cultural backdrop of patriarchy. However, within scripture, mm-hmm. we see uh, that being challenged. Is yeah. that is that a fair way to, to talk mm-hmm. about it? Yeah. So I say that, um, and you know, the, the radical biblical feminist will say, the Bible is this patriarchal document that's, you know, put together by the most powerful men. Um, we can't trust that, you know, um, and, mm, okay. and so the church responds, no, 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 it, um, no, it isn't. We can trust God's word. However, I think that so often we send that exact same message okay. with the resources that we are putting out for men and women. Like, mm-hmm. is the Bible so male centered and authored that women need to have our own resources so that we can understand it better? Right. And so what I do is I kind of the first third of the book, the first part is really looking how God uses the female voice in this patriarchal time um, as an interruption uh, to the dominant male voice often showing the story behind the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really quite fascinating in such a patriarchal culture, um, the way the woman's voice is used and breaks through in God's word so often and what it's revealing a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then to see that reciprocity there um, and, and dynamism really um with the male and the female voice that God uses for his own word, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, one of the pushbacks I'm already getting, which I think is ridiculous is, um, well, the Bible's God's word. So why are we talking about the feminine voice? You know, why are we talking (laughs) about women? And, um, Uh, why do we ever talk, do studies on Moses or Paul or, you know, on like God uses people. He uses people, um, to, to convey his voice. So, um, how, why is he doing that? What is he saying when he's doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what um, I kind of look into in the, the first three chapters of the book, really. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that uh, section, too. I mean, you had a really great chapter about uh, Ruth, and I thought that was really helpful. And kind of what it reminded me of is like, and I'm sure you're probably uh, familiar with this terminology, but like, um, I don't know if he came up with it, but he definitely is a strong proponent of it. He pushes it forward, this idea of an incremental redemptive ethic in scripture. Um, and his name's, his name is Bill Webb. Um, he's like, a, he has a book called uh, Women, Slaves, and Homosexuality. So he, he does come out on, in an egalitarian position, but I think his work lines up extremely well with the kind of stuff that you're pointing out, where he's saying, yes, there is patriarchal like undercurrent, but um, God is incrementally uh, dismantling that and revealing that, you know, he can speak through women and, um, you know, work uh, through women and men alike and all that kind of stuff. So um, it reminded me of that. And I thought it was really helpful. Yeah, I haven't, I'm not aware of his work. Okay. But yeah, I, I, um, and I do think that it's, there's something distinct about the feminine voice mm-hmm, sure. that, that offers a, a contribution um that is asymmetrical to the male voice yeah so um you know and i think that there's something beautiful about that and Mm -hmm. you know that's one way place where i i kind of push back with egalitarianism too is um and i think we can use the world's language really easily and sometimes it's important to use that language of of equality and rights um but um within the church i'm kind of looking more of like that meta narrative Mm -hmm. of uh, what's distinct and what is distinct and meaningful about the woman's contribution. It's not just the same mm-hmm. as the man's, right, but right. what's valuable about it. Right. Yeah. I think that was a really helpful distinction for me. That's something that I personally really appreciated that you pushed back on that, you know, some of that egalitarian stuff. Cause I never, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it that way before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was really cool. And actually, I guess um, you kind of talk about like, 
this synergistic relationship um, mm -hmm. between men and women um, right. and, and talk about how it's not like, you know, man is one half and then woman is one half and then together right. they're one. I thought yeah. it was super helpful. And then um, mm -hmm. maybe one of my favorite things <laughs> in the book, and it's just because it's a silly thing, is you referenced a ripstick, which yeah. like <laughs> I used to play with ripsticks when I was little. And I was like, I know, that yeah. is probably one of my favorite references in a Christian <laughs> theology it, book. It, it props to my friend Anna Anderson for that illustration, really. We were talking about Pope John Paul II's uh, um, teaching on what you were just saying there, uh, fractional complementarity with the one half plus one half equals one whole, which is taught a lot in complementarianism mm -hmm. um, and how, uh, how that's not really correct. He teaches more of an integral complementarity where it's one whole plus one whole creates a new thing mm -hmm. so it's dynamic um you know we can see an obvious illustration of that in marriage <laughs> producing yeah, children but just in relationship period um it should be fruitful between men and women and so she thought of this ripstick theology of um, <laughs> you know when man and woman are facing one another um and so, like, if, if man was on one side of the ripstick and woman was on the other side, you got to do that balance. You got to do that dance. And but what happens? You don't stay there. You, it moves you forward. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's dynamic. And we're headed in a direction. You know, we have a mission that we're to be doing together. And that is eternal communion with the triune God and one another. It's such Absolutely. a beautiful thing. So, you know, so much of this in, in between that we're living of the already and the not yet of our salvation um, we have to remember that we actually are new creations. Mm -hmm. We are eschatological beings. We are, um, theology is an eschatological culture. Yeah. And so um, how does that affect us now and how mm -hmm. we relate with one another and how we learn and um, how we're going to pass down the faith to the next generation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I like um, what you said there, and you point this out in your book as well, that Biblical manhood and biblical womanhood isn't what, as Christians, as disciples, we're being called to, but rather we're being, all of us, regardless, men and women alike, are being called to become more Christ-like. I thought that was really helpful. Can, yeah. you, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, because um, our mission isn't as narrow as biblical manhood and biblical right. womanhood. And uh, discipleship has become that in so many books now. Um, and like that is our main aim and it isn't, um, my aim is eternal communion with the triune God, mm -hmm. um, and one another. So when you're teaching something narrow, like biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, well, women are left with who's our model. Who are we to imitate? Cause we're all called to imitate Christ. Right. Amen. And, but is it different for women? Is, is there such a thing as male virtue and female virtue or, are we all aiming for the same fruit of the spirit that Christ mm. has um, shown us? Yeah. Uh, the Ten Commandments, are, are they gendered? Sermon on the Mount, is that gendered? No, it's, it's for all of us. So, um, and then as we, as we, as Christ produced that fruit within us, and as we aim to live the life of faith and obedience together, we will have, you know, because you're a man, you'll have a masculine color coming out of what you're doing, you know, sure. because I'm a woman, there's going to be a feminine color coming out of what I'm doing. Um, it's not that I try to be feminine. I am a woman. Yeah. So um, that exudes from me as I practice these virtues and, and sure. things. Yeah. And, and you talk about too, how even like Jesus himself, the things uh, that he emulates and teaches for us, uh, a lot of time it would break some of those gender norm stereotypes yeah. uh, from his time. And so, um, and as men, we're supposed to, you know, follow that teaching and as women. And so right. um, that was, that was really helpful uh, thing to point out as well. Um, yeah. I mean, how he exercised the authority of being the son of God, you know, how does he exercise that by washing feet? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's many things that he does in complete humility um, so we need to really think about and challenge teaching where, um, you know, m the epitome of masculinity and the husband's role is to make the final decision <laughs> in an argument or something like that. I, it's really reductive. And um, that's authoritarianism. 
Yeah. And um, we got to think about what the word authority actually means. Sure. It means sure. that you're authorized for something. But, so you're authorized for something specific. So pastors have a specific authorization, right, um, to preach the word of God. Um, that is an, a specific authority for a pastor. Um, and, you know, church elders have a specific authority in, in governing the church, um, which I don't have. Mm-hmm. And I, I need to submit to that. Um, but it's not like a pastor or a church elder or leader has the authority to tell me how to dress in the morning or <laughs> what to eat for breakfast or, sure. you know, whether or not I can watch this TV show. You know, those are decisions that I have to make. So, um, and I have the authority to make. So I think we use that word authority like it's some kind of blanket um, commando. And that's not really what it is. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, and to it, it, like, it brings up in my mind this idea of like uh, a mutual submission to one another. And I think that's very biblical language uh, yeah. to use. Um, and I think that fits well with the, like, the ripstick thing and the, yeah. um, the dance between each other. Because um, I think if we, like when we really break down things and, and like within, um, let's say like go egalitarian for a second – or just use worldly language of like, oh, everybody's equal. It's just the same. Um, well, if I look at my experience with the relationship with my wife, that's just not true. We are very mm-hmm. different people. She has a lot of great strengths that I definitely don't have. <laughs> and I'm very grateful that she has those mm-hmm. uh, because we would be far less organized. We would never <laughs> get anywhere. Like uh, all sorts of stuff um, yeah. that she's just so great at that I don't have. And then I bring things to the table as well. And it's not because, I mean, that's just like who God has created us to be and that, that mutual submission, that respect for one another um, and the the taking on the understanding of like emulating Christ and serving each other, that still is complementing each other, but not right. in this like top down, just purely authoritative way mm-hmm. of being. Does, is, that right. kind of, is that fair? Do you think that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, as a, in my circles, um, you know, one of my big challenges and pushback is because there's a lot of talk about male headship and um, male leadership. And I do see certain places where men are called to a, a, a responsibility in the marriage. Okay. But um, what, what I would say and challenge in that, and, and you see it right in the creation, is it's sacrifice. Adam has to lay down his own life for the creation of Eve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Adam you know, during this, we're told that the husband is to leave father and mother to cling to his wife, which is outrageous in a patriarchal culture. I mean, at that time, you know, as this first culture is reading Genesis, they know that the woman goes from her rule of her father to the rule of the uh, paterfamilia of the husband's family, you know? Um, So to hear that the husband's going to leave his family to cling to the wife mm-hmm. that's his his he's having to submit to things sure. and then to um you know to protect her you know men, men are made stronger than women physically mm-hmm. i think even just naturally that is a responsibility okay. to protect sure um but that does not mean women are very protective yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, we also are called you know mama bears a term for a reason. Absolutely. Um, and you see a lot of that in scripture, but we also have a vulnerability in mothering. Um, yeah. You know, our bodies are made made for mothering and it makes us vulnerable. Sure. So, I, you know, men are called from the outside, I think, to help protect in that way. So, but I don't, you know, I think leadership involves submission and sacrifice. Sure. So, um, you know, that's where I would talk about differences there. And then just in the complementarian camp, so often they teach that, Man created first, therefore he's in charge, and um, woman was created second, therefore she's subordinate. And I definitely challenge that teaching to say, no, uh, let's look at the big theological picture here. Um, why was woman created second? Man's created from the dirt. Mm-hmm. He's an earthly creature. Woman is created from man. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not created from the dirt. Why? And why is she created second and not at the same time? What does Adam see when he sees woman? He sees his telos. He sees his end, what he is called to be, the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, as um, the church flows from Christ's side, we see woman coming from from man's out of man's side. So we are a, ty- a typology of the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, we're calling man to what he's to be, and that's a glorious thing. That's why you see in Corinthians, woman is the glory of the man. Yeah. So um, that elevates her. It sure. doesn't. It doesn't subordinate her. So you know, I I think that we need to look at the theological anthropology and eschatology going on in scripture, which is so fascinating. Yeah, and it uh, you point this out, and this is something actually. Um, did I learn? I'm trying to remember where I first heard it, but you talk about um, when you're discussing those things, you talk about the word ezer. Is that how you say it? E z e r. Ezer. Ezer. Okay. Ezer. Yeah. Okay. And that's used to describe Eve. Can you ex- mm-hmm. like talk about that word a little bit? Yeah, so we see that word um, in Genesis that we first we see that woman is also made in the image of God, mm-hmm. but then we see this specific uh, descriptive word that she is his. We see in English as helper. Okay. And um, and it's Azer, E Z E R, like you said. And Azer. Um, okay. So what does that mean? Azer connecto is the, the next word qualifying with it, and um, the the word helper now. You know, language kind of changes over time. And so the English word helper kind of has an inferior connotation to it. You know, so you think of oh, daddy's little helper. Um, he can go gather all the sticks in the yard before daddy mows, but he can't actually <laughs> use the mower, you know. Okay. Yeah. Or mommy's helper in the kitchen, you know, like those kind of things. They're not necessary. You yeah. know, they're optional. They're not actually needed. Right. And they're subordinate. Right. Um, but that word, azer, is used to describe God throughout the Old Testament as, and it's always used, like, it's saturated in military language, and it's God sweeping in to save and to rescue Israel, and, and it's even translated as, as strength at one point. Mm-hmm. So um, Professor John McKinley has suggested kind of an updated translation of Azer in English to be necessary ally, like a woman mm, is okay. man's necessary ally in God's mission. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, you know, there's specific ways in scripture where we see woman being necessary ally to man. And, and if she doesn't, she's his opponent. Mm-hmm. We see both of those. Yeah, scripture. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, that idea of like a, a necessary ally reminds me of, I guess somebody that's kind of controversial within scripture. And, and you did a lot of, a uh, really great time, uh, speaking about her and that's Phoebe. Um, and I know Phoebe is somebody that I was never taught about growing up, even though she's right there on the yeah. face of the text. And so you could also, you know, blame Josh and say, well, you didn't, I guess you didn't read close enough. Um, but yeah, so can you talk a little bit about like Phoebe and who she was? And then um, what I want to do is after that, I want to kind of move into some like moving forward stuff. Like let's get practical. Um okay. Like within like what because, you know, you talk about like instead of being about this debate, it's more so about like what do disciples do? What are we called to do? And and how can men and women work together to, you know, all those kind of things. So let's start with Phoebe, though. And then that's kind of where I want to go. Yeah. Okay, so Romans 16 used to be the boring chapter for me to read, right? Like we got through (laughs) all that great doctrine and, um, you know, practical ways in the church. Uh, that were, you know, exhorted to live. And then uh, Romans 16, he's just saying goodbye to everybody. And <laughs> uh, now it's such a fascinating chapter because for me, because in Romans 16, you see kind of a snapshot of the rest of what he's been talking about. And that is the playing out of what the ministry looks like, um, you know, underneath the ministry of, of word and, and sacrament, you have this picture of disciples discipling. <laughs> and um, so Phoebe is mentioned there in, in leadership terms mm-hmm. um, that are undeniable, but she is a prostasis and she, Paul's prostasis, so she's a factor, which is very much a leadership term um, at the time. And she is the deliverer. She's the one he authorizes to deliver the letter, the epistle, to the Romans. Now, it is not safe for a woman to travel that distance by herself. She didn't travel by herself. So he could have, he could have authorized somebody else, but specifically he authorizes 
Phoebe as the deliverer. Mm. Um, some people argue that you know she would be the one who read the letter. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the case. We don't know that. Maybe, maybe she gave it to a scribe to read or an elder of the church to read. Um, but have you ever read Romans without a question? <laughs> no. <laughs> Smartest person in the world ever read Romans without a question. You know, um, so who are who are these people in the Roman church going to ask if questions about what Paul means <laughs> in Romans and in, in this section? Why, you know, why is he saying this? Uh, what, what's this term? Um, they're going to ask the person who he is authorized to deliver that mm. letter. So he obviously invested in her, um, prayed over her, had faith that she was going to be able to communicate uh, his his message there well, and he had the confidence in that. And um, so, you know, in Phoebe, we really do have like the first commentator of of Romans. Yeah, yeah, which that's is pretty fascinating. We can, you know, what do you do with that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then also too, um, you know, you go on to talk about uh, Paul, um, and I'm going to screw up all the names, but but Paul <laughs> listing. Uh, for example, like uh, Priscilla and Achilla, uh, uh, yeah, um, listing them and talking about uh, these various other uh, women similar to Phoebe um, and the, the roles that they were given, uh, you know, to help. Um, what, what is the phrase you always used uh, to like communicate the gospel? Um, to, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was so interesting and so helpful. Um and so, like, with those things in mind, going forward from here, what, because, um, you know, we can talk and point about, like, issues and blah, blah, blah all day, but what what can we do moving forward? How can we move uh, forward together to kind of challenge and leave some of this stuff behind, um, yeah. but then work together to commune in the gospel, to spread the gospel mm-hmm. um, in this synergistic relationship? Yeah, that's a good question, and I don't have all the answers, but um, I'm you know, put out some, some thoughtful questions and mm-hmm, suggestions, but, um, you know, even continuing to look at Romans 16 and like you're saying, we see men and women serving side by side. Um, he calls women co-laborers, which is a huge term he uses for people min- ministering alongside with him. Um, so what, what do we do with that? Do we see in our own church that same snapshot mm-hmm. that we see in Romans 16? That's kind of my challenging question there. Um, or do we walk into the church and see a male culture mm-hmm. where the men are the ones at the theological heart of the church um, and uh, creative life of the church and intellectual life of the church and teaching life of the church? And it's the women who are valued for their um, VBS skills, <laughs> uh, nursery skills, casserole skills, you know, centerpiece making skills and right. um, administrative maybe even, but not uh, – not this theological vigor that's going on in the church. And so, um, and then what do we do about that? Um, how does the woman's voice in your church function? Um, so are you as church leaders investing in the women theologically, like you are the men, the men, mm-hmm. um, are you giving them opportunities to contribute well in those areas? And there's just so many, so many areas, you know, different denominations have, um, different styles of worship, you know? So when you talk about things like who the greeters are and the ushers and all these other little things, um, you know, in that, what does it look like? Um, is there synergy there? But also, let's say you have a publication for your church with book reviews and stuff like that. Are, are you reading anything from women in there? Um, in the pastor's illustrations, <laughs> is it always the men who are the intel, you know, the intelligent ones or ones holding positions that uh, have uh, any kind of sway? And are, are or are you going to the stereotypical male and female in, in your in your illustrations? So there's just so many different areas in the church. Do women have the agency that the women in Romans 16 had? Mm. Um, do we view the women as sisters in all purity. Um, and what does that look like then? Are we promoting holiness in one another in our relationships? Mm-hmm. Um, all of these things, I think there's so many different avenues to explore. Uh, one that I feel very passionate about is 
um, abuse in the church. Okay. And so, um, especially in churches like mine, where you have only male elders, I think it's really important to be proactive about, okay, there's got to be some women in this church who are in abusive marriages just because of statistics. Absolutely. So um, how are they going to have the um, confidence and trust to come to this male session of elders and tell us and confide in us and ask for our, our help? You know, intimidating thing for an abusive relationship to do mm-hmm. and to be believed. So um, what if you were already pouring into other women in the church and helping them um, learn how to be good advocates so that, you know, you would say to your church, look, look, we care about the sisters in this church, all mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. If anybody's in an abusive situation and you, you feel intimidated to come forward, I, I want you to know that stand up, these three women over here, um, you know, they've had some training to come alongside and to represent you in, in our session mm-hmm. um, and, and come alongside with you and be there with you and, and help you communicate mm-hmm. um, with us and help us communicate with you because we might have some blind spots. Sure. And, um, you know, things like that, I think, are extremely important, too. Yeah, we just um, we just uh, released an episode um, that we did a conversation with uh, Ruth Everhart. Um, she has a new book out called mm-hmm. The Me Too Reckoning. And it's, I mean, it's about exactly yeah. that. I mean, it, it takes yeah. on more the um, like sexual abuse and sexual assault, mm-hmm. uh, those kind of things in the church. Right. But um, she pointed out a lot of those things as well. Um, mm-hmm. Because she also serves in a Presbyterian, or she, I don't think she's still serving in a church. I could be wrong. Um, but she was a part of the Presbyterian church, I think PCUSA. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, telling her story and uh, kind of seeing some of the abuse that is able to form if things go unchecked or if we have an unhealthy understanding of what is biblical manhood or authority um, Mm -hmm. and kind of, I think, uh, but I think in what you're suggesting and putting forth this synergistic relationship um, and, you know, I don't see how. And like, if we're abusing power, then we're not living into that synergistic relationship right. that you're calling for, you know, as a biblical way forward. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's a really helpful a contribution to, to the conversation for sure. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, we're seeing uh, sexual abuse even in the egalitarian church. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. With scandals. So it's like all of us need to be challenged by this. And, and how can we um, communicate better? How can we... Uh, listen, <laughs> yeah. how can we hold people accountable? How, how does, what's, what's the leadership going to do when people are challenged, you know, and, and, and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, uh, Amy, thank you uh, so much for today, for this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I enjoyed it. It was great. I think um, I'm excited for, for your book to come out again in May. Um, and I want to challenge listeners because I know that we have some pretty, uh, well, I mean, myself and Marty are, are both pretty uh, firmly egalitarian, but we have some pretty um, firm egalitarian and, and feminist uh, kind of listeners. And I um, I want them to know and, and people to know that I think your bro- your book is wholeheartedly worth reading. Um, it, it, it brings great challenge. It, it brings so much important nuance to the conversation um, that I hadn't thought about before. Um, and I think nuance is is extremely helpful. Um, I think we need to be able to read and be challenged and um, all of those kind of things. So I um, am super excited for when your book launches. Um, you know, we'll be sure to uh, link it uh, in the show notes and mm-hmm. um, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but also for people who want to know more about Amy Bird and see some of your other work, uh, where can where can they find you? <laughs> Yeah, so I blog at housewifetheologian.com. Um, I co-host the Mortification of Spin podcast mm-hmm. with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. And um, I also am on Twitter, Amy Bird, HWT. And um, yeah, I mean, the book can be pre-ordered now. And I just really want to thank you um, as somebody who, you know, has some differences with me th- th- theologically on the man-woman thing, but also like inviting me on to sure. talk and, and, and that we can both learn from each other, I think Absolutely. is, it's so cool. I just want to model that. And I thank you for having me on, even though we have some differences. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, really too, Amy, the, the heart. So when this podcast first started, 
um, just to give you some background, uh, Andy, my co-host at the time, I, I talked a little bit about him, but he's um, a PCA guy, a super confessionally reformed, very conservative, um, and I uh, am very different than him. <laughs> um, a lot of people would label and throw me on like the more progressive side of things. Um, I don't really like labels because I, I think that they come with a lot of baggage. Um, but I tend to have like some Anabaptish kind of feelings, <laughs> like very strong ethic, nonviolence, things like that. Um, but so we wanted to create a podcast where him and I, who have very different theological perspectives, could come together and model exactly what we're talking about. Um, because I think that there's already so much polarization in society. It really is, And yeah. it really feeds, it, it flows into the church as well, and I just don't think that's helpful. So if, if people who have differences are never willing to talk to each other and learn from each other and find out where our blind spots are, um, mm-hmm. it just, it's not helpful. It's like yelling into an echo chamber, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I don't yeah. think we want that. And so I think conversations need to happen regardless of um, if you agree, disagree, whatever, um, because at the end of the day, we're still all on the same team. You know, we're brothers yeah. and sisters in Christ. Brothers we're and sisters. working to, you know, push forth uh, the gospel and... Um, you know, bring forth the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so mm-hmm. I think it's really cool. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, Amy. Thank you so much. And uh, for listeners, uh, be sure to uh, follow us on Instagram if you don't do that already. Uh, we do have a Patreon feed. If you go to patreon.com slash rethinkingfaith, if you would like to be a part of that. And then as always, and since Marty's not here, he can't counteract me on this, go Caps. <laughs>